I'm going to do a little bit of a line-by-line line study this morning, so uh, you'll need your Bibles, and you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're talking about how grace transforms our lives, how uh, the Holy Spirit works in us with the Word to bring out of us what God has put in, that new birth, that new creation that we are. And what the Bible tells us is that if we keep our eyes on Jesus we get transformed from glory to glory. So who wants to go from glory to glory? I do, I do. And um, the way we do that is not by us, uh, our own massive efforts, but by putting our confidence and our focus on Christ. And a lot of people don't understand this. You know, we, we, we give all sorts of things up so that we can get better, we can get rid of sin in our lives, we can be better Christians, and we all want to be better Christians, don't we? We all want to be more authentic to Christ. Is that true? I'm looking for responses this morning. Good to see Bob and Dawn back from holiday. It's been quiet without you, Bob and Dawn. (laughs) Miss Dawn's laugh. Don't you miss Dawn's laugh when she's not here? Um, One of the things that that really throws us as believers is when life goes up and down. And, you know, the truth is that as believers, we're not exempt from the up and downs of life. A a lot of us as as Christians, we'd like to be exempt from it. We'd like to think, well, God just makes everything hunky-dory, simple, straightforward, um, amazing, and I live this totally easy, blessed life. But that's not how it is. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have problems. How many have got problems? How many have got things you want to overcome? So in this life, that's the way it is. And life goes up and down. Sometimes it's fantastic. Sometimes everything comes together. Sometimes it's horrible and nothing comes together. And God gives us an an answer to that, an approach to that, that will take us through on a level playing, level surface. You see, when we are mature as Christians, that is evidenced by the fact that our life does not go up and down with what we're facing. That it's stable through what we're facing. A truly, fully mature believer is stable throughout. And the reason for that is that, that God is stable. He's unchanging. He's a solid foundation for our life. And, you know, one of the things that that, that people get really struggle with in their relationship with God is they think that God's not consistent, that he's not stable. And a lot of people have this idea of God and he he just does things at random, he's sovereign, he he does what he likes, when he likes... And, and when you add that to a life that's going up and down, that picture of God actually makes Christian life harder, not easier. Because you've now got a random God to add on to the ups and downs of life. Well, the good news is God isn't like that. So forget all you've been told about God. He's not like that. Because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is a covenant-making God who keeps his promises. He has put in place a new covenant by which he, he doesn't look at you depending on what's happening in your life. He looks at you through what Christ has done for you. 
And so he's not going up and down. He's not all over the place. He's not dependent on what's happening in your life, what's going on, how you feel, what you think, what you've done today, what you did yesterday, how much you prayed, how much you've read your Bible. He's not dependent on those things to be God because he's God. And because he's God, he's utterly consistent. He does the same thing all the time. And he said that if we will believe him, he will always do what we are believing him for. You see, God is absolutely stable. And what he's trying to do is get us to know that that stability is available for our lives. So go to Philippians chapter 3. Now, I'm going to be going through this, um, well, basically six verses. And then I'm going to just look at something slightly different at the end. I'm going to read from the Amplified, which is, is up there. So if it sounds slightly different to yours, it's because I've got, a bit more emphasis on certain words. For the rest of you, my brethren, delight yourselves in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you are in him. Twice in that first part of that sentence, you've got this phrase, in him or in the Lord. And you see that right through the New Testament. You never see it in the Old Testament. And the reason you see it in the New Testament is that when you became a believer, supernaturally, and I, I, don't, I don't understand entirely how this works, but you were placed in Christ. The, the, the Bible says in him you live and move and have your being. Christ lives in you and you live in him. It, there's a oneness there. And it's a oneness of spirit. So you've been placed in Christ and you see that phrase over and over again it tells us a lot about who you are in Christ that you are redeemed in him that you are sanctified in him that you are free in him that you live in him that that you are um, well that you live and move and have your being in him and The truth is that God has made us something we weren't before. And we want to live by who we now are, not what we once were. And who we now are is in Christ. And in Christ, we are redeemed. We are sanctified, made holy, set apart. We are set free. We are given life. We are given healing. We are given wholeness. We are given deliverance. We are given freedom from oppression. All those are ours in Christ. It's who we actually are right now. Every one of you sat here right now, although you may not feel it, you may not see yourself like that. That is who you are. So, the, what I'm go- my title this morning... Is confidence in Christ. And when we allow Christ to be the centre of our lives, the focus of everything we do, then what God's word promises us is that the quality of our life will change for the better. When we, when we start to move alongside the, whole, the spirit of God, we see God do things that we wouldn't have believed possible. 
The ups and downs don't disappear. But God is right there, stable right through them all, to bring us out the other side. Not just bring us out the other side battered, bruised and broken, but bring us out the other side victorious and overcoming. You know, a lot of people can go through things in your life battered, bruised and broken. The, the difference in, with Christianity is that when you do it with the Holy Spirit, you still go through the same things, but you come out the other side victorious and as an overcomer with your bruises and your brokenness all healed up. That's the difference. There's no difference in the ups and downs. The difference is in how you come out the other side. And we have a choice. We either walk in Christ according to the Spirit or we walk according to the flesh. And which, where, where we keep our eyes and where we keep our focus makes an entire difference to whether we come out back bruised and broken or alive and victorious in Christ. And, and it's a choice that we, we have to make. And, and sometimes we don't realise how important that is. That, that that's something that, that God has made available to every one of us, but very few of us access it and live in that place. Why is that? Well, it's partly this, that like it or not, whether we're traditional, Catholic, charismatic, swinging from the chandeliers, whatever brand of Christianity we like in terms of style, what we have to do is realise that God is about relationship and not about religion. And religion can come in all forms and all appearances. And what God's calling us to as, as a church and, and, and as individuals is relationship. That's why he died for us. So what Paul is saying in this letter is that relationship, not religion, is key. And when we learn to do everything we do with him, when we learn to do life with God, things begin to look differently. But we have to do life with God. Now, some people think that God's only interested in spiritual things. He's interested in how much you pray to him, how much you read your Bible, what your worship sounds like, uh, that he's interested in what you do at church, and, and he's interested in, in some of the things you do in your family, like family Bible studies and life groups and all that sort of stuff. God's really interested in that sort of thing. And some people think that that's, that's how God relates to them. It couldn't be further from the truth. But yet that's how many of us approach our, our life as Christians. We think that God's really interested in that, that part of us and it's that part of us that pleases him. When the truth is, God is interested in every tiny little bit of your life. And he's interested in what bothers you, what upsets you, what gives you joy, what gets you excited, what motivates you, what doesn't motivate you, what you want for dinner, what you like for dinner. You know, he's interested in all sorts of things. I mean, God is, you know, he's, he's shown me the light. He's got cheesecake out of my life. It's, he's interested in every aspect of my life. And, you know, God 
is interested in you. Not just the spiritual you, but you. Let me put it this way, and I'll try and make it simple. There is no spiritual you. There is a you. You are one complete whole who has the spirit of Christ living in them, who is in Christ Jesus, a new creation. There is a you. There is no separation of spiritual, physical, working, studying yous. You is a yous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> see, what, what, you see, we're breaking boundaries here. We're inventing new words every moment in this church. You is a yous. See, when I learned that God was concerned about everything that concerns me, it, it really revolutionised my whole picture of God. You see, he went from being out there to somebody I was trying to please to being here to being somebody I loved. And that is a massive transformation. But it's like this, you see, some people put it like this, that, that God's a gentleman. Well, sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. But what the truth is, is that he will never force you to do anything. Because he created you with a free will to make your own choices. And, and what he's encouraging us to do is to invite him into every aspect of our life. So that, that he doesn't stop being in our life when we walk out the door, that door or that door. He doesn't stop being in our life when we're not in a life group meeting. That we, we, we have a dialogue with him, whatever we're doing, when we're sat at our desk, when we're driving in our car. You know, uh, Paul tells us, I'm going off script again, Paul tells us to pray always without ceasing. How are you going to do that if prayer is some sort of religious thing that you can only do at church or in your secret place? What it means is we talk to God and involve in every aspect of his life, knowing that he's interested in every aspect of our life. And that he loves us through every aspect of our life. And that he understands what we're going through, what, what the, the ups and downs of our life. <coughs> okay. Let's go on to the next... Ha oh, I've got through half a verse. We're doing well. <laughs> Rejoice that you're in him. To keep writing to you over and over of the same things isn't irksome to me. In other words, yeah, I'm going to keep having to tell you the same things over and over again, but that's okay. Because it's safe, a precaution for you. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that as believers, when we've heard something once or twice, we think we know it. And, you know, some believers get an attitude, well, I know all that. I know, I know all my verses on healing. Or I know all my verses about freedom. I know all my verses about grace. I know my verses uh, about this, that and the other because I've got them highlighted, I've got them underlined, I've read them two or three times. In fact, I repeated them four times to myself five years ago. And I know it because, you know, I've been around church five, ten years and I know it. Let me just tell you, that that's a really dangerous place to be. 
And, and I'll tell you why it's a dangerous place to be. Because there's a big difference between knowing something in your head and knowing something in your heart. And when you think you know it, but it isn't manifesting in your life, you don't know it. So unless we're walking like the disciples walked, we'd better actually get rid of that sort of attitude and actually go, I actually don't know it. And I am prepared to look at this again. And I am prepared to, to go through those verses again. Because when, when we... Uh, you see, faith, the faith we live by, comes by hearing. That word translated hearing means fresh hearing right now. It's called a rhema word of God. It's something that quickens the faith that, that is in your heart. And so you can't have that rhema word of God by having memorised a verse 10 years ago. God brings stuff new when we see it again. And, and every single word in the Bible is pregnant with revelation. And when you think you've got it, basically what you're saying is God's got no more to say to me. Ooh, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> when you get to that point. But that's what you're doing. You're saying, God's got no more to say to me. Because we never really know anything until it's actually working in our lives. And even when it's working in our lives, we need to be reminded of it so it doesn't stop working in our lives. Because we have an incredible capacity to forget the goodness of God and the things he's shown us. We've got an immense capacity to... to to suddenly go off tangent and, and start thinking all sorts of things that work against what we actually already knew and was working. So we need to be reminded and, and always pull back to the centre point of Christ, the cross, his grace that we receive by faith. Otherwise, we, we just get pulled, we, 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 we go off all over the place. We, it's part of how humanity we're easily distracted, and in an age of distractions, we're even more easily distracted. Verse 2, this is a good verse. Look out for the dogs, Judaizers and legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's a jolly verse, isn't it? I think the first, when I was reading this, the first thing that struck me about that is how strong that is. You know, we are not called to be weak, wishy-washy believers. We are called to be people of conviction. People who, who live the way we say we're going to live. People who know what the truth is, who know what the gospel is, and are prepared to live or die by it. And... What Paul's saying here is there are people who will get you off track. So watch out for them. Let me explain to you first what it means and I'll make a comment on that. Just in case we don't. Under the Old Testament law, he's basically talking about the people who want to put you back in the system that existed before Christ died for you and before you were born again. And under the Old Testament law, people had to treat, keep trying to do good in order to receive good from God. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's how it worked in the Old Testament law. Because um, 
our sin and our sinful desires weren't dealt with. And under the Old Testament law, people could only relate to God through that system. And the way God gave them to deal through that system was a temporary uh, sorting out or a temporary way of um, basically facing up to who they were that when you did bad, you went and made a sacrifice for it. Now, under the new covenant, we don't do that. You know, I, I haven't seen that many people killing bulls, goats and all the rest of it lately. Under the New Testament system, Christ was the sacrifice for everybody. And, and we, we apply that to our life, not by sprinkling ourselves by, with blood, but we apply that to ourselves because Christ lives in us. And, and the way it takes effect in your life is walking by our spirit. So it's a completely different system. And what Paul is saying is, if people want to take you back under where you were before... You need to watch out. And, and my comment on this is that we are so naive in the body of Christ. We don't actually attune ourselves to what we're hearing and say, does that match the gospel? And how do I know that? I, anybody can know that. Tell you, just walk out of here, go onto Facebook and start reading the posts that Christians put up there. And you go... We are not watching out. You know, even, even when I put posts up and, and I'll, I'll say, you know, you, you, you weren't saved by anything you could do, but you were saved by what Christ did. You know, I can put that, that post up. And somebody will decide that they're going to put on as a comment on my post, yes, but we have to remember we're sinners and we have to try harder and, and we can, you know, people can take grace lightly and all that sort of stuff. Guys, if you're here this morning, you aren't taking grace lightly. You're not looking for excuses to sin. You're looking for a way of walking better with Christ. You're looking at a way of falling more and more deeply in love with him. And, and they don't get that. And these, these people didn't get that either. And so they said, Let, let's go back to that old way, because that way, that'll, that'll keep you safe. And, and when you've got loads of rules, then you won't break them. Well, when you had loads of rules, you broke them. It, you know... It, it didn't help, did it? And, and the gospel is about transformation. You see, even if nobody's trying to put rules on you, even if you're sat here and listening to me and going, yeah, 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 that's right, okay. We kind of got trained over our lives to be pretty good at putting our own rules in place for ourselves. So even nobody else is doing it, we got quite good at doing it for ourselves because we thought that was what we were supposed to do. You know, Bible study can become a law. How do you know that? When it gets to the point where you sat there thinking, I haven't done, I haven't done enough Bible study today, God won't be pleased with me, then it's become a law. Do you know prayer can become a law? When you sat there thinking, I haven't prayed enough today, it wasn't passionate enough, I didn't feel connected to God enough, um, I, I didn't get the goosebumps that I used to get. Maybe God's pulled back, maybe I'm displeasing God. Then it's become a law. 
Because you're trying to relate to God on the basis of what you do instead of the basis of what he's done. Now, all those things are good. I'm not saying don't do, do, do like, oh, I don't need to do any Bible study. I even, never need to. But no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying even the best things can become laws because of the way we approach them. They can become religion instead of relationship. Are, are you getting this? Yeah. Now, as Christians, <coughs> God doesn't want to ser- us to serve him under the new covenant because we're afraid we'll get in trouble if we don't. He wants us to serve him because we love him. And they're they're really different. He wants everything that we do to flow from love. Now, not obligation. Now, where I've seen a few people get confused, and you might be sat there thinking, well, I'm a bit confused there, is... We don't do things out of obligation. But we do have a responsibility to use what we've been given. We do have a responsibility to live the new life that Christ has given us. It doesn't happen passively. So we're not doing it out of obligation, but we do have a responsibility. And uh, you you probably know, because I've said this several times now, but a lot of people think... uh, that Jesus said, with great power comes great responsibility. You have, you have the creative power of the universe available to you because you have the spirit of Christ. So with great power comes great responsibility. Well, Jesus didn't actually say that. Spider-Man's Uncle Ben said that <laughs> at the end of Amazing Fantasy, ep- um, issue 15, which launched Spider-Man on the world. But most people think Jesus said that. What Jesus actually said was, to those who much he's given, much will be expected. (laughs) But Spider-Man's Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man's Uncle Ben could have been in Scripture because that is absolutely true. With what Christ has done for us comes the responsibility to live from there. Why? Because you don't want to have to live like you did before you became a believer and waste what you've been given making a mess of your life. And if you, do, if you don't live from, the play, from what Christ has given you, you will make a mess of your life. You will go through the ups and downs, battered, bruised and broken, and not come out the other side victorious and an overcomer, and healed and, and free. Are you, are you getting this? Let's go to verse 3. For we Christians are the true circumcision. So he was talking, when he was talking about putting back on the Lord, particularly issue at, at stake, he was circumcision. I'm not going to explain circumcision because it makes me squeamish. <laughs> Anybody not know what circumcision is? <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know what circumcision is can ask Paul at the end. <laughs> We Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exult and glory and pride ourselves in Christ Jesus. We put no no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. Let me just go through that slowly. The circumcision that God wants of us isn't some sort of ritualistic, isn't an 
obligation isn't something we do to qualify. The circumcision that God wants of us, he tells us, is circumcision of our heart. And he's already done that when he took out our old heart and gave us a new one when we were born again. But he wants us to live from that place of our new heart where we are one with the Holy Spirit and not according to our flesh. Now, what he talks about here, he talks about worship. For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit, by the spirit of God, and exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. Let me, I just wanted to have a little aside because I just wanted to say something about worship. Worship isn't songs. It includes songs, and it's, it can be mainly songs. Okay? But let me say something a little bit further. Jesus said uh, that he was going to, his people would be worshippers who worship in spirit and truth. Yeah? God isn't after your worship. Let that sink in. God isn't after your worship. They're all looking worried now. June's looking particularly worried now. You think Mark's really lost it now. God isn't after your worship. He's not after what you did this morning. What he's after is that that comes from a worshipper. You can, you, can, you can sing as loud as you want, jump up and down, be passionate as you want, and I would encourage you to be so. I am disappointed by the amount of dancing that takes place these days. I'm disappointed by the amount of whooping and shouting. And, and basically, I'm kind of worried that, 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 that our African contingent and our Asian contingent have gone quiet and boring like us British contingent. <laughs> And we kind of need you to be noisy and not like us British contingent. You shouldn't adapt to your environment. We need to, we need to, we, us Brits, we just need a, a good kicking up the, which I won't say. But God isn't after that, but he is after that when it's an expression of us being worshippers. He's after worshippers, not worship. In the Old Testament, he was just after worship because they, they didn't have the ability to have heart change. Now he's after worshippers, who we are, who we become. The, 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 the whole expression of who we are is worshippers and that should come out on a Sunday morning and in life groups and whatever, whenever we get a chance to worship. So feel that I have given you permission to be noisy. Amen. Feel... Right, more importantly, remember that next week that I, well, not me, but you are Africans, you are Asians, you can do this. Do not be put off by Mark at the front. Actually, I, I like worship, I'm quite noisy, I, I stick my hands up. I, and I'm not saying you have to, okay? I'm not saying you have to, but I'm saying, go for it, be you. Because you are a worshipper. And sometimes you might not feel like it, but if you'll do it, you'll start to feel like it. Yeah. Right, that's, that's me rant over. 
And he says, we put no confidence or dependence in our flesh and our outward privilege and physical advantage and external experiences. Isn't that an interesting word? And this is kind of the crux of what I'm saying this morning. Confidence. Where do we put our confidence? You see, we, we live in an age of image, don't we? And, and a lot of us, a lot of people, in fact, the vast majority of people, put their confidence in image, in, in appearance, in status. That's where the confidence of their life is. You know, you can tell that because people will go on Facebook and the reason they're going on Facebook, what's going on in their head, is what do people really think about me? How many likes did my last post get? Why haven't I got a perfect life like that person on Facebook? Well, they haven't got a perfect life either. They're just fishing for your likes. And, and we've got this whole focus on what people think about us, what our image is like, and how people respond to that image. And we, we, we train to think like that now. That's, that's what's going on around us. And we have to resist that and realise that that's not where we get our confidence from. You see, some people think, well, you know, I can be confident because I've had a good education. I can be confident because I'm in the right social group. I can be confident because I came from the right social tier. I can be confident because I've got enough money. Now, listen to me carefully. Because what happens now is the miserable Christian tells you you shouldn't have any of those things. The truth is, God delights in you having those things. But it's not where we get our confidence from. You see, we don't get our confidence from education. And, and, our, and I'm saying this particularly because we're in Cambridge. But a lot of people get their confidence from how well educated they are. And they're always studying. And they're always thinking. And they've always got, like, learning new things and trying to get a better, another qualification and another qualification. Because they think when they know enough, they'll be confident. And we should learn this in Cambridge because some of the best educated people in this country who come out of that university have some rubbish jobs. And some of them can't get jobs. It's not a question of quantity of education that gives us confidence. Let me show you this. Verse 4. Though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. He's Paul talking about himself. So he's saying, if anybody had got this nailed, it was me. I, I've got grounds, if I wanted them, to rely on the flesh. If any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outed advantages, I have more. Oh, that's kind of boastful, isn't it? Circumcised when I was eight days of old, of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the observance of the law, I was the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, and by the law standard of righteousness, that's its supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing of God, I was proven to be blameless and no fault was found with me. What's he saying? Well, let me put it in today's terms. He's saying, guys, 
I was born on the right side of the fence. I've got the money. I've got the family. I've got the connections. I've got the education. And not only have I got the education, but I could show you. I was consistent with what I'd learned. I did it. I lived the life. So, so if anybody had, had reason to trust in themselves, it was me. And let me put it a bit further. Really what he's saying is this. I've got an important family. But more than that, I've got a degree. I've got a master's. I've got a PhD. And then I did another degree. And then I got another PhD. That's who I am. I'm Paul. <laughs> and he said, if anybody had confidence, the ability to rely on themselves, it was me. Now listen to what he's saying. There's two kinds of righteousness you can seek. There's two kinds of walking through this life. You can have your own, relying on what you can do. Or you can have God's that you receive by faith. But you can't do both together. You have one or the other. Because if you've got a mix, you ain't got God's righteousness. You're not relying on his righteousness. You see, I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of Christians look at this the wrong way around. They look at it through the wrong filter. And, and they get to the... Because of that, they live their life the wrong way around. They think that if I live better, I'll be better. When we were on a little retreat a few weeks ago, um, I was making some coffee with uh, one of these... They, 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 you know, do you recognise those sort of machines? You put your, your coffee grinds in the top and we don't use them so much these days. But anyway, the, the accommodation we were in had one of these. And it had, you, you basically pull the top off and it has a little filter inside. You put your coffee in there and water comes through and it makes you filter coffee and stays warm and you have your breakfast. Perfect. Yeah? So I did, I did all this. Got my coffee, put it in, put, put it in the, the, the little mesh filter, uh, put the lid down, put the water in, switched it on, glug, 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 You know how they do. <laughs> you know that noise. And so it was, it was doing that, and I wasn't paying attention. And I was sort of sat at the table in front of it, and, and I started paying attention when I saw, like, coffee coming between my legs. <laughs> and I thought, that's not meant to be there. <laughs> and I looked around, and out the top of the pot, the coffee was, like, flooding out. It wasn't going in the pot. And I thought... Like, how did that happen? How did that happen? And, and Cheryl said something a bit more colourful. <laughs> she didn't hit me, though. It was a good day. <laughs> One of the things you find out about coffee grounds is when, the fl when you get them all over the place, you cannot. They're, they're just not easy to get. They're all over, aren't they? They're getting any nook and it takes ages to clean them up. Now, what had happened here is the, the little mesh filter inside had a hole in. 
And so there wasn't, it, it wasn't pressing down on the lid of the jug at the bottom properly. And so instead it was just coming out and going sideways and outwards. And when I, when I realised this and cleaned everything up, we got some little paper filters and put them in and it worked perfectly. And you see, a lot of Christians, we have life the wrong way around. We're trying to put it through a filter that is broken. And it says, if I clean myself up and sort myself out, then I'll be a better Christian. And the filter we actually need, the unbroken filter says, if I let Christ sort me out, then my actions will change. It's the other way around. And a lot of Christians never see it. They don't, they don't do it. In fact, you can say that to people and they'll agree with you and still do totally the opposite and still approach life on totally opposite basis. If that's you, stop it. <laughs> I'll do it this side. See if you get better. If that's you, stop it. <laughs> right. There wasn't any better response. Okay. Now. The best way I've heard this explained, and, it, and it's simple, and, and this, this is my last bit. There is a difference between your who and your do. There's a difference between your who and your do. Uses as a difference between your who and your do. You see... We're believers, and we're believers for a reason, which is we want to be right with God. Yeah? Anybody not want to be right with God, we can pray for you. <laughs> but we're believers because we wanted to be right with God. And you don't want to be struggling all the time with guilt and condemnation and failure in your life. You don't want that to be the theme of your life. You know, we didn't come to God to feel worse about ourselves. We were already feeling pretty rubbish about ourselves, so we came to God so he could actually change us. But if we, if we spend all our time thinking about fear, guilt, condemnation, all our failures, all our messes, it's like looking at everything through that broken filter. Because we're looking at it through who we were, not who we now are. Now, this is the issue, you see, when we think that Christianity is all, our who and our do are the same, we have this issue that we fail. We have weaknesses that aren't sorted yet. We make messes. And the typical approach of religion, charismatic, smoke, lights, swinging incense, whatever version you want of it, is you've got to sort your do out. Let me tell you, you can't sort your do out. You do do's, and it does. However hard you try. Uses, do's. <laughs> you see, if you could sort it out, and you could be perfect, you wouldn't need Jesus. That's why he came. 
And now because he's come, your who is not the same as your do. Your do. You are the righteousness of Christ. It's who you are. You are whole and made holy. You are sanctified. You are redeemed. You are set free. You are delivered. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You live and move and have your being in him. He's, he's changed you from the inside out. So your who is not your do. Your do is subject to change. How does it change? It changes by putting your confidence in Christ, not your confidence in you. And Jesus tells a parable. And, and it's, I'm not going like, to go through it in the detail I've gone through it there. But let, just go with me quickly to Luke 18. And I'm going to finish with this. Verse 9. He told this parable to some people because they trusted in themselves. And were confident that they were righteousness, righteous, that they were upright and in right standing with God. And they scorned and looked down and made nothing of all the rest of people. So Jesus is telling this story to people who have confidence in themselves. He's telling this story to religious Christians who are putting their confidence in themselves, looking at somebody else, saying, I'm better than that person, so I'm all right. And Jesus tells this story and he says that this, he, he draws this thing and yeah, it's the Pharisees, it's always the Pharisees, isn't it? But let's just say religious Christians today, religious Christians today, and he says, two men went in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So Pharisee, yay, tax collector. <laughs> Only Jesus is going to put it the other way around because most people think the tax collector's got no chance and the Pharisee must have it all right. And most people look at religious Christians and they go, wow, I can never be like them. I always feel like really rubbish whenever they talk to me. Whenever they minister to me, I always feel like I'm a second-class citizen. I always feel like I'm a rubbish Christian whenever I'm around that person. They, they minister to me and I feel worse afterwards than before because I feel even yet more useless. Have you come across people like that? I have. And Jesus is saying, it's the other way around, guys. In the kingdom of heaven, this is how it works. The Pharisee, the religious Christian, takes his stand ostentatiously. <laughs> have, you, have you seen them? I'm sure they train you like this in Bible school. <laughs> Gotta look like that. You know. You... Bless you, my dear. Bless you. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you've got to go, go up and down with the voice. And, and, and you do it often, to, you know. It's getting too close to home now, isn't it? <laughs> and he began to pray, thus before and with himself. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That really surprised me when I read that. Jesus is saying, this guy isn't even praying to God. He's praying so he can hear himself and so he can, and everybody thinks well of him. It's all about him. His prayer is directed to be all about him. He's focused entirely on him. He's not even praying to God. He's not making contact. But the trouble is, you guys sat in front of that person think they're an amazing Christian. Take care. It's not the words that come out of the mouth. It's the heart. That's why Jesus told us to look for the fruit, not the noise. So this guy, what happens? He's saying, I'm not like the rest of the man, extortionists, swindlers, adulterers, or even this tax collector here. Okay, let me put that in English terms. 
I'm not like you guys. I've got all this experience. God does amazing things in my life. You know, really, if you sorted that out, he'd do it for you too. But you can't, because you're not me. But I'll, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, brother. <laughs> He's that sort of person. They're all over the place. Beware, leave them alone, stay out of the way. They wreck your lives. See, you get more noise now. Come on, Africans. Come on, Asians. Let's go. The white, the, 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 oh, the British down here are making noise. Come on. Go for it. I've lost it now. <laughs> he fasts twice a week. He gives tithes of all that I gain. Man, what a Christian, eh? Should all be like this guy. But the tax collector, that's us. Can't even do any of that. He stays at a distance. He's too humble to even stick his nose up in the air towards heaven. And he's aware he needs God, so he strikes his best saying, God, be merciful to me. Be gracious. The wicked sinner that I am. And Jesus says, Guys, you know which one went to heaven? You know which one God hears? Ain't the religious guy. It's the one who knows who he is and trusts in me and not in himself. We get our confidence not from our do, but from our who. And our who is Christ in me. Amen.